Utopia football podcast for the six and four Houston Texans as they get ready to take on the seven and three Jacksonville Jaguars. AFC South first place at stake at NRG Stadium on Sunday. This is really, really an exciting time to be a Houston Texans fan, and we appreciate you coming along for the ride with us. I'm Sean Pendergast, one half of Pain and Pendergast on Sports Radio 610, and I'm joined as always by my good friend, the Hall of Famer, and our senior columnist at sportradio610.com john mcclain don this is uh this is an exciting because we, we, we're recording this on a wednesday that feels like a friday and i know it's not going to be a friday because normally when it's friday you only have to wait two two days to get to these games we got to wait four full days to get to this texans game i'm chomping at the bit right now i can't wait for this game i think everybody feels that way biggest game since the buffalo Wild card game after the 2019 season should be the most fans they've had in the stands, most tickets sold because it's big. If they lose it, Jaguars got a two-game lead with a very manageable schedule, so that means they lose this. They're not winning the AFC South. So if they do win it, they own the tiebreaker over the Jaguars, and they also have a very manageable schedule. But no matter what happens, Sean, it's amazing what's going on in Houston with D'Amico Ryans and C.J. Stroud. Yeah, I, John, I, I was just writing my piece for the Houston Press to preview this game, and I think that I typed right out of the shoot was like, I think I think most Texan fans thought that that D'Amico Ryans and C.J. Stroud that, that combination would be able to turn things around for this team. Like I think, like even even Texan fans who are ultimate skeptics, I think about what had happened based on affected by what had happened the last couple of years with the team. And they just done so many, made so many poor decisions. I think even, even those Texan fans are like, okay, well this, this can, this could work out in a couple of years that, that we're here 10 games in and John, like all these power rankings that are out there all have the Texans sitting somewhere between eight and 12. Like they are an upper third of the league team. I saw this stat too, John, this was, um, this was in, um, it was in Athletic. I think it was in – I think it might have been a Mike Sando article. I'm not, oh, no, it was in the Power Rankings. It was the Power Rankings. The Athletic had them 10th. There are only four teams in the NFL that have a positive expected points added, you know, this EPA stat that gets used now as sort of the gospel for efficiency. There are only four teams that have a positive EPA on offense, defense, and special teams. The Eagles, the Cowboys, the Lions – and the Texans. How crazy is that? Crazy, absolutely crazy to think about that, considering where this team was last year and the two previous years when it was the dregs of the NFL, and now it surprised everybody on every level. But they got to beat the Jaguars. I was listening to NFL radio, and Charlie Weiss, the quarterback guru, he said he was talking about teams that could beat Kansas City. And he said, and I even think Jacksonville could because they're in first place. And I'm thinking, well, they may not be for long if the Texans he sucks, win John. This game. I, John, you got to stop quoting Charlie Weiss. He sucks. I hate Charlie Weiss. And uh, you hate him because he was bombed out at Notre Dame. Yes. Yes. And exactly. uh, I think uh, I have respect for him when it comes to quarterbacks. And he's been very compliment, 
complimentary for C.J. Stroud, but a lot of people still assuming that the Jaguars are going to win the division, and they very well could. They're favored by one and a half. But uh, if they win this game, people are going to have to take Texans seriously as a division champion, and, and and that would be five in seven or eight years and a chance to host a playoff game. And I uh, guarantee you next year when they're doing the schedule for primetime games, because of Stroud and because of the improvement and a lot of other players on this team, Texans, if they may not get the maximum right away, but they're going to get a bunch. It'd be five and nine seasons because they won in 2015 and 2016, then 18 and 19. So it'd be, it would be five and nine seasons. And that's the other thing too, John, and we're going to get into our six pack here in just a second to preview this game. But I think in some ways, because the last two years, it really only has been, we'll call it three seasons, Deshaun's last season, then the Cully year and the Lovey year, um, that it's felt so much longer than that because of just how they arrived there. It was just such, it was, it was just such poor decision-making that got them there. It was decisions that were made that, like, quite honestly, like trades and things like that, that even like a teenager playing Madden wouldn't have done some of the things that Jack Easterby and Bill O'Brien did. That's what was so frustrating. It didn't take a genius to see that this team was being dismantled, it felt like, unintentionally. I don't think they meant to dismantle it. But ultimately, Nick Casario did have to dismantle it to start and build it back up again. But it is crazy to think, like, it really only has been three full seasons since the Texans were in the playoffs. It just feels like it was 30 years. Like, there's probably fans in some cities. Like, Buffalo went two decades without making the postseason. You know, Cleveland has been the dregs since they got back into the league in 1999. Um, I'm going to go through this and, and figure out all the teams that actually should feel a whole lot worse than Texan fans overall, like, based on the last, call it, decade or so. Because it hasn't been all compared to a lot of teams all that bad. It's just that the last two years really have been so crazy, crazy, ridiculously that it feels like long that. Well, you better start with the Lions. The Lions have won yep. one playoff game since the fifties. Now they're eight and two for the first time since nineteen sixty-two. That's uh, the second greatest stat I saw this week. The other one was about the Steelers firing a coach during the season, first time since 1941. And so there's a lot of amazing stats coming out in the NFL right now. No better feel-good story than the Lions used to. I couldn't wait till the Lions game was over on Thanksgiving so we could get around to the Cowboys. Now I can't wait to see the Lions because they're so much fun to watch. Dan Campbell's going to lose both coordinators. Ben Johnson, I'll bet he ends up with the Chargers coaching Justin Herbert. Aaron Glenn's got a chance to be head coach, former Texan, and uh, Jet and Corson Aggie. And so that they, they're going to experience what Kyle Shanahan and, and – uh, Seriani experience in Philadelphia, you have sustained success and you lose your coaches. And that's what's going to happen to the Texans probably in one more year when Bobby Slowick will be out of here. Yeah, John, you know, um, we've got to root for the Packers against the Lions tomorrow. You know why? Coach why? of the year. Coach, oh, of, the coach year. of the year. See, coach I don't know. Dan Campbell is the favorite and he's done a fabulous job, but they were picked to win the division. Their turnaround began last year after a bad start. So the Lions were really good last year. Texans were not. They were terrible. Mm-hmm. Almost yeah. everybody picked them to be the second worst team in the league to Arizona. So yeah. if you're talking about who's done the best coaching job, to me, it's got to be D'Amico Ryan's hands down, although he's done a great job. Kevin Stefanski's doing a tremendous job. Kevin O'Connell. But uh, D'Amico's got to be able 
to overtake Dan Campbell. But Campbell's such a popular coach, he's going to get a lot of votes for that, even though that should have nothing to do with it. Yeah. Well, John, don't tell yeah. Tell the odds makers. I'm just saying, like, Dan Campbell's even money, plus 100 to win coach of the year. D'Amico Ryans is two and a half to one. So he's he's behind him right now on the odds board. I'm with you. I'd vote for D'Amico all day, every day. So we'll have that. We'll, we'll get back to that. And for, I have a coach of the year for Real of Fugazi that we can get to a little bit later on in the show. For Did now, see, John, let's. Excuse uh, me. Does, yeah. When the Texans were 0 and 2, yeah. 500 to 1 to win the Super Bowl. And I think, is it 50 to 1 now or 25? 50 to 1. Yeah, it's 50, 50 to, 1. to 1. Quite yeah. an improvement. And if they win this game, imagine what it'll be. If they win this game, they're favored to win the division. Right now, it's Jacksonville is like. One to two and a half to win the division. Texans are like the flip of that. They're like two and a half to one. You know what I mean? They're like inverse of each other. Um, it's a huge game, man. John, it is a it's a good seg- segue into the six pack here, the pregame six pack. I mean, but what's at stake for the Texans if they win this game? They're tied in record, but they're ahead because of the head to head with a really easy schedule. Jacksonville's schedule is not any great shakes either, but they at least have a Cleveland and Baltimore game coming up in the next two and three weeks. Um, before they kind of finish out with a lot of the same team the Texans have played. There's a Carolina game in there. There's a Tampa game in there. I think they, they close out with Tennessee because the Texans close out with Indy that last week. So these next few weeks, it's really too bad Joe Burrow got hurt um, because the, the the Jags play the Bengals next week, and they're going to catch the Bengals with no Joe Burrow. Texans beat them with Joe Burrow, but they're going to get Jake Browning. So the, the Jaguar schedule isn't anything great, but if the Texans win, I think obviously their probability of winning the division exceeds Jacksonville's at that point. Um, and then if they lose, you're talking about now they're one and one against the Jags, but they're two games back in the standings. And and so that's a problem. You know, that that's to me, that's a big problem. I think the difference in this game, John, to me, is the, di- the this game is the difference between hosting a playoff game and having to go on the road in a playoff game if we're going to boil it all down. Also, two games, Denver, five and five, four in a row. Russell Wilson, 19 to four, touchdown interception ratio is much tougher than it looked to be. It's going to be here. And then Gardner Minshew, uh, quarterbacking the Colts, he played great in the second game when he replaced Anthony Richardson. He's had big games against the Texans in the past. Colts five and five at home in the last game against the Texans, which could have playoff ramifications. So, and then of course they play Cleveland here, and that's going to be great. The ultimate test right now. The Browns are giving up the fewest yards per game than any team in the last ten years. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. It's a really, really good defense. That's going to get them into the postseason. I think the Browns. I think the Browns and the Texans are both going to be playoff teams. I just don't know where, where in the tapestry they they end up fitting in. But we'll see. All right, let's do the six pack, John. Let's give people, let's give people players, coaches, storylines, whatever the case may be, things that are going to affect and impact this Jacksonville game against the Texans on Sunday. You go first. I'm going to start with C.J. Stroud because he's had six turnovers in the last two games. And they've won both games. And so you got to hope that that was kind of a, an aberration, a mirage. And then he'll go back to the way he was before with three in the first eight interceptions. And so um, he's got to cut back on the interceptions. And even though they were deep in the opposing end of the field, he hasn't hurt them by throwing interceptions deep in his end of the field. But he's got to stay away from the interceptions because you can't keep winning that way. So I'm saying C.J. Stroud has to have uh, one of his best games, beginning with fewer turnovers to beat the Jaguars. 
Well, this is an opportunistic Jags defense, too. They, they, I think they lead the league in takeaways. They've they got do. 20 takeaways in 10 games. So this is an opportunistic defense. CJ was able to stay out of the interception realm the first time these two teams played was during CJ's historic start without an interception, 190-whatever attempts it was. Um, so, yeah, the, I'm – Completely with you on that. It, it, to me, it's very impressive that the Texans have been able to win the last two games while losing the turnover battle against the Bengals and the Cardinals. That's actually, weirdly enough, that's one of the things that makes me super excited about the Texans is they don't have to win. The, they're a good enough team offensively. They don't have to win the turnover battle and get short fields and things like that to win games. They have C.J. Stroud, who's the most explosive quarterback in the sport right now. Mine, John, on offense is going to be Bobby Slowick and his feel in the run game. And what I mean by that is you're getting Damian Pierce back. Devin Singletary has had maybe the two best back-to-back games that any Texans running back has had since Carlos Hyde back in 2019. You know, like I can't remember. I mean, Damian had a few good games last year. I never, I can't remember if he ever had, you know, almost 300 yards back-to-back games like, like Devin did. He probably did last year. Um, so maybe I'm maybe I'm overshooting that a little bit. Point being that Devin Singletary undeniably is the one guy who's run the ball well the last two games uh, over the course of this season. Like that's been the only time the running game has looked like a competent NFL running game. Damian Pierce is coming back. How does Bobby Slowick mix up that the uh, the carries the touches between those two? What if Devin Singletary is not running very well, but Damian is kind of a hot hand? Does he go with the hot hand? Does Damian just resume starters? reps we don't know we I, I'm with I'm shaking I see you shaking your head I agree with you John on all that and I think the other thing too with Bobby Slowick what's his feel on short yardage situations you know now that you got Damian Pierce back you know who knows maybe he's not tossing to Mike Boone on fourth and two or running back up the middle maybe he feels better about Pierce in short yardage situations than maybe he did about Singletary I have no idea Slowick's meeting with the media today so this will be the first time he's met with the media since he's at a since since he made those horrible play calls on those short yardage situations against the Cardinals but I think Bobby how Bobby Slowick calls things with the the mix now of Pierce and Singletary and what the short yardage look like Slowick in the run game is a big one for me he better stick with uh, Singletary, first back-to-back 100-yard game since Lamar Miller in 2018. Hey, there you go. I knew you'd have the numbers, John. There carry you go. the last two games. Okay, get get Damian Pierce some carries. But, boy, when they're in, when they're if they're in short yardage, I still want Singletary there because he's got low center of gravity. He's got moves. He can push the pile if he has to. He's strong. Mm-hmm. And uh, But, I, I, you know, if they're going to give him the ball 20, uh, give give it to Pierce ten or eight, whatever. But you stick with a hot hand and sitting. Bobby Slowick's not stupid. Yeah, no, he they, he's a lot of things. He's not stupid. Stupid is not one of them. Uh, John, what's your next one? My next one's going to be um, uh, the defensive ends, Will Anderson Jr. and Jonathan Grenard, who have done a really good job. Statistically, I think they're the best twosome in the league at setting the edge. Everything they do against the run is designed to keep teams from getting outside to force it inside where the the goal is to swarm to the ball. And they've done a good job of that. But Trevor Lawrence got over his knee injury. He threw uh, really well on the run in the victory over Tennessee. He had two touchdown passes, two touchdowns rushing. And he seems to be throwing better when he's on the move. Now, Kyler Murray got broke through for a 26-yard run. He got around outside 
they got to be very disciplined in setting the edge, which they've done. they got to be careful about Travis Etienne, who likes to bounce it outside when he doesn't see a hole up the middle. So not just with Will Anderson Jr. and uh, Jonathan Grenard sacking and hitting Trevor Lawrence, but they got to be great in the running game, which they have been, because Etienne likes to bounce outside. Their interior offensive line's not very good. They get stuffed a lot up the middle. Tackles are better. So expect them to try to get outside, and that's why I like Anderson and Grenard. Yeah, uh, Lawrence has been dealing with a knee for a lot of the year, but he had his best game last week, including running the football. He ran for two touchdowns last week. Trevor Lawrence, is when he's healthy, is very underrated athletically, I think. He's, he's, he's someone who can hurt you. Not not like Lamar Jackson hurt you with his legs or even Kyler Murray, but he's almost more like Aaron Rodgers where you got to be mindful of it because he will go get 10 or 12 yards if you give it to him. He's 6'6", and he's an inviting target, but he, he's very mobile. Yeah. And right now he's throwing better on the run. Yeah. Um, my next one, John, is Dalton Schultz. Dalton Schultz has been one of the key targets for uh, C.J. Stroud really since the Jacksonville game in week three. He only had one catch against Jacksonville. He really had a tough time getting out of the gate with this offense. Didn't look super comfortable. C.J. wasn't really looking for him. Even in the preseason, those two never seemed to be on the same page during the preseason at times. Um, But then something clicked in week four against Pittsburgh. Um, And in the seven games since the Jacksonville game, the numbers that Dalton Schultz has put up, if you extrapolate him over a 17-game season, he's a 1,000-yard receiver. Uh, if you take the last seven games, that's the type of player he's been. He's been a great target for CJ in the red zone. He's got five touchdowns in seven games. Um, so there's a real trust factor there with CJ Stroud and the Jags. They're a good defensive team, but one thing they don't do well is defend tight ends, tight ends. They're 31st when it comes to, I use fantasy points, you know, just yards and touchdowns at tight end score per game. Um, the Jaguars give up the the 31st. They're, they're 31st. They're the second worst team at defending tight ends statistically in the NFL. And Dalton Schultz has been – he's been eating this last month, month and a half, John. So um, he's a big key, especially against a team like Jacksonville that can get after the passer if you're doing more quick game. Um, and we know they're going to attack downfield at some point, but Dalton Schultz is a nice target to have in that intermediate area. So he's he's one of mine to watch. My next one is the Texans versus tight end. Evan Ingram is the Jaguars' leading receiver. And last week, Kyler Murray initially tried to throw the tight ends, and I don't know what the Texans did. They did a good job on on, uh, Trey McBride. But uh, Ingram, because he is the favorite target, they're going to have to cover him, whether it's Blake Cashman, Jalen Petrie, one of the other linebackers, Christian Harris. Harris and Cashman are coming off their best games. And unfortunately for them, it happened the same time when they had three linebackers out. So they, the secondary and the linebackers have to do a good job against Evan Ingram. When Zay Jones came back because he's so fast – it allowed them to move Calvin Ridley around instead of just lining him up outside where teams were taking him out of the game. And he just had a touch, two touchdown catches in a hundred yard game. But to me, you could put Stingley out there on, on him and let him stick with him or Steven Nelson, depending on the side. But you've got to be able to contain Evan Ingram. And as we know, they've struggled against tight ends for most of the season. The Bengals did the same thing. Remember they threw the ball to the tight end like five times on the first possession of that game, which ended up with a touchdown over the top to that Irwin guy. 
Um, but the Bengals tried to do the same thing that the Cardinals did last week is feed the tight end. And you're right. The Texans would, I don't know. They made adjustments for whatever Burrow just started attacking with Jamar. Hey, Burrow just started using Jamar chase. What a novel concept in that game. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, the tight end is, is a real, is a real key. Um, and it's nice having Stingley back too. As far as Zay Jones goes, I know you saw the same stat I did that Calvin Ridley has had his three best games as a Jaguar with Zay Jones back. That the games they've played together have been Calvin Ridley's best games. So it's providing another distraction. And that's kind of that's my last one, John, is is the 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 receiving. You bring up Ingram. I mean, but look at the weapons they've got on the outside and in the slot with Christian Kirk. And Calvin Ridley and Zay Jones, those are some, you know, I don't know if it's elite, elite weaponry, but all those are three really good, really good receivers who can stretch the field. And I think if I'm going to if I'm going to attach one Texan to this aspect of the Jaguars, as far as like a six pack item that you and I are doing, it's Jalen Petrie, the safety. If you look at a lot of these deep shots. I don't know if it's Jalen late getting over there or if, you know, like in the touchdown against the Cardinals, Stingley slipped. And so Petrie, I don't know if Petrie is supposed to be there over the top or not. I just know Jalen Petrie has not played good football in a long time this season. He's missing tackles. Um, he dropped an interception a couple weeks ago. These plays that get hit downfield, it always seems to be Jalen Petrie that's chasing guys after they catch the football. So um, this Jacksonville's got they got guys that can hurt you and they've got their full complement of receivers. Zay Jones didn't play in the first game between these two teams and Calvin Ridley dropped a touchdown pass early in the game. Somehow he got singled up on Blake Cashman in that week three game against the Texans. So um, they've got to contain these three receivers as well. And I'm going to put Jalen Petrie in the crosshairs here because he's he's got to you know he, he's got to prevent some of the deep stuff downfield with these guys. Zay Jones didn't play. Neither did Derek Stingley Jr. Yep, that's true. That's true. Maybe it cancels each other out. Um, all right, so there you go, John. What's your prediction on the game? I'm taking the Texans to win this game 28-24. Okay, I've got 27-20 Texans. So you and I are kind of in the same neighborhood. We have them both winning outright. Jacksonville, as you and I talk, are a one-and-a-half-point favorite over the Houston Texans at NRG Stadium on Sunday. Should be rocking. Should be a good, raucous crowd out there. Um, and if you are uh, if you're a season ticket holder, you're going out there, get in the stadium early. Let's get in there and get get loud early in this game. All right, John, you want to do some for real or fugazis? Let's do it. Okay, cool. Let's do it. We do for real or fugazi. We do it every third episode of the week, normally a Thursday, but we're doing it on a Wednesday this week because of the Thanksgiving holiday. Um, and uh, I read a sentence. I share it with John. I ask him if he if it is for real or fugazi. Uh, well, I read the sentence. If John agrees with it, if he agrees with what I just said, he says for real. If he disagrees with it or he thinks I'm stupid or crazy or the statement is false, he says. Fugazi. Fugazi. He says it with that great Waco Italian accent right there is what John does. All right. So let's do this, John. This one is just a flat out quarterback matchup in week 12. For real or Fugazi. CJ Stroud is better than Trevor Lawrence. Uh, this season he has been, and you can statistically you can see it. And uh, he outplayed Trevor Lawrence in the first game, and the Texans won by 20 points. Lawrence is supposed to be the generational talent. It's his third season, and he said some bad coaching, but he has not been a generational quarterback prospect. The last one was Andrew Luck, and as a rookie, he did. And, he met the expectations, and maybe this is a game where he amplifies on his performance last week with four touchdowns, and and he assumes the role of 
greatness, but uh, right now it's Stroud. John, it's not for real Fugazi or John gives analysis on it. Is it for real or Fugazi? I thought I said for real. You didn't. You did not. You did not. Oh, I didn't. You, just, okay. you went right into your diet. Sorry, John. It's, it's for real. This for season real, he you. is for real. Okay, gotcha. Thank you very much. Um, all right. Um, next one. Shaquille Leonard waived by the Indianapolis Colts. Kind of surprising, I guess. We can talk about that a little bit. But, John, Sha- Shaquille Leonard, I'm guessing, is going to clear waivers with that contract of his and with the injury issues. But he's going to end up playing for somebody. For real or Fugazi, Shaquille Leonard at the right price would be a good pickup for the Houston Texans. Fugazi, you couldn't play for the Colts. He'd been benched. He's been terrible since he had his two back operations. So they got a good thing going here. He'd be a backup, and I'm sure he wants a chance to start. But he'll sign with somebody. But, you know, I wouldn't do it here. They got they got plenty of linebackers, and right yeah. now they're playing well. I, You know, John, just taking Shaq Leonard out of it for a second, just like this – it is kind of wild, like all of a sudden, like the Texans have to be considered a team that if you're one of these guys that gets cut or you got a chance to sign with a team or whatever, I'm not saying that they're the Chiefs or something like that, but they're a reasonable team. Like if you're looking like, okay, I want to, I know I want to go to a playoff team with a good quarterback. The Texans are a playoff team with a good quarterback right now. That's that's a fun place to be for Texan fans. Well, I think that'll be more in line with free agency next year. I agree. Yeah. But you always got to pay. You're not going to take less money. If it's equal, you might want to come here because they're on the way up. But uh, And that could be the case. Maybe that's why uh, DeAndre Houston Carson did not have to leave the Ravens practice squad. He could have stayed there, waited to be elevated, and play for a Super Bowl contender. Instead, he chose to come here where he'd be on the roster because he knew he had a chance to play because of the injuries, and he's taking advantage of the situation. So that's a good example of a guy who could have stayed placed where he was for a Super Bowl contender, but he chose to come to here. I didn't know that, John. Guys, if they get if, if they get claimed off a of practice squad, they can say no? Yeah, it's signed off the practice squad. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's say, what I mean. One, signed, year yeah, an so. agent, one year an agent called me and asked me to call his client who was Green Bay and didn't want to come and asked me to explain the situation of what the te- the Texans had going on here as far as injuries and the defense and everything. This was back during the Kubiak era. So mm-hmm. I talked to his player. He came here, didn't play well, and got cut and ended up back in Green Bay. Okay. Well, yeah, all's well that ends well. They got to some good Tex-Mex for a few weeks. <laughs> all right, John, next one. If D'Amico Ryan's for real or for Gazy, if D'Amico Ryan's wins 10 games, he should automatically be coach of the year. For real, of course. Uh, right now he's number two. And, it's, and we talked about Dan Campbell. He's done a great job, but they were picked to win the division. D'Amico was picked to be last. Texans supposed to be second worst team in the league. There's nobody who's done a better coaching job. There's been some good ones. Stefanski, he's done a great job. Kevin O'Connell's done a great job. But nobody has done what D'Amico Ryan's has done. Yeah, to me, John, if you're a writer, and I don't know who all votes for Coach of the Year, they you know have, better than They have former players, former coaches, general managers, writers, and broadcasters on the 50-man panel that votes on all that. Okay, well, I need to know who all 50 of those guys are, and I need to go back through their Twitter feeds, and I need to go back through every column that they wrote. And if they lined up and had any sort of column anywhere along the way where they talked about how the Texans are the most dysfunctional team in the last however many years because of Jack Easterby and all the all the nonsense that's gone on around here. 
and they're not voting for D'Amico Ryans for coach of the year. They're being hypocrites. Like you can, <laughs> by definition, you cannot have stood there taking shots at the Texans saying they're the worst organization that they've ever seen. A lot of people said that, yeah, that this is the worst organization I've ever seen. You cannot have said that and then not vote for D'Amico Ryans for coach of the year. If he wins double digit games this year, that's the rule. I think he'll win it going away and I don't care what Vegas says. Okay. Well, there you go. Um, all right, John. Uh, let's see. Uh, next one. I don't know if you saw this, but on Stephen A. Smith's radio show, Tom Brady was on and he bemoaned the NFL play. He said there's, quote, mediocrity. John Taylor, the NFL product a mediocre product these days. Gaze, um, I think if you watch a lot of these teams are really good. Um, as people have pointed out, Brady, and I don't know if he said that in that interview, they, NFL Players Association has uh, has uh, negotiated in collective bargaining all these rules that you can't do squatting off season when you used to do a lot of teaching, especially for the line. And of course, with the quarterbacks out, that's the key. The, the game's yeah. so much better and more interesting if you don't have all these top quarterbacks out with injuries, which the, which has happened. So no, I disagree with Brady and a lot of it he's talking about players have to learn to protect himself. Well, themselves. Well, how, how come he didn't protect himself when he blew out his knee in the first game one year in which they went 11-5 and five with Matt Castle? That's one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. Players have to learn how to protect themselves. Yeah, I, I just – I always look at it, John, like when I sit down to watch NFL football, am I, am I enjoying it less now than I used to? And the answer is clearly no. And this isn't even a Texans thing where I'm enjoying it more now because the Texans are good. I'm talking about sitting down on a Thursday night game and, and watching again. John, I – I like the storylines. Like I, I, you know, like I'm, I'm into the. I, I do hate some of the things that get called in these games. When I think, I think there's a lot of players on defense that get victimized by these rules. It's just impossible to not go helmet to helmet sometimes based on what guys do. So I, that part, the randomness of some of the calls, I don't like. It doesn't affect my enjoyment of the game. Like I sat down and watched Chicago and Carolina from beginning to end because I wanted to watch Bryce Young get his head handed to him for 60 minutes and feel good about C.J. Stroud. Like that's where I'm at with it. Like I like the soap opera storylines of the whole thing. One thing that has uh, made a difference, a lot of great quarterbacks have retired in recent years. Yeah. And some of the younger ones who are great are getting hurt. Like this year with Joe Burrow, that and and Aaron Rodgers, not young, but a great one, and they have so many nationally televised games, and that's just bad luck for the NFL. So I did not agree with Brady. I didn't either. And John, it's funny. I don't know if you ever look at on um on CBSSports.com. I'm trying to see the writer here. I've got the article pulled up. Cody Benjamin does. No, no, Cody Benjamin does the QB power rankings. Prisco does their team power rankings, but. Excuse me. Cody Benjamin does QB power rankings every week based on, you know, just how the quarterbacks are playing. CJ was number one coming out of the um, the Cincinnati game last week. He dropped you know, through three picks. So he's fourth now, which I know, like, probably I don't know. Like when I tell you that CJ Stroud is the fourth best quarterback in football, what's like your 10 second reaction to that, John? Well, based on how everybody's playing and the inconsistency, I would say, yeah, he has been playing like uh, a quarterback who should be in the top four. 
Yeah, and, and it's crazy. Like the, I think you look at it and you go, wow, like he's a rookie. I know he's been really good, but boy, this age of quarterbacks we're in. But yeah, you go this age of quarterbacks we're in. The three that are ahead of him, Lamar Jackson is one. Uh, Jalen Hurts is two. It hadn't been a great Jalen Hurts year. Patrick Mahomes has probably had statistically his worst season since taking over. He's third. C.J. Stroud is fourth. John, and you start to go down the list. You know, Josh Allen's fifth. His offensive coordinator got fired a week ago. Brock Purdy is sixth. You know, he had an interception problem earlier this year. Dak Prescott's seventh. He can't win a big game. Tua Tungavailoa's eighth. He hasn't beaten a good team yet this year. Justin Herbert's ninth. His coach is about to get fired. Jared Goff is tenth. I have nothing bad to say about Jared Goff, ironically. Like, I think he actually maybe – he might deserve to be a little higher on this list. Russell Wilson's 11th, and I know Russell Wilson is better now. I'm not going to go through the whole list. I'll stop there. Um, well, actually, I should see where Trevor Lawrence is just based on who the Texans play. I'm guessing – yeah, Trevor 12th. Russell Wilson's 11th, and John, I know Russell Wilson's better this year than he was last year. Not a high bar to clear, but I watched Russell Wilson these last two games. They were both on national TV. There's nothing scary about this version of Russell Wilson. He's still light years behind what he was in Seattle. Like, it's, it, this is, it's not a great quarterback league right now. I know injuries play a part of it. You know, the, the, Joe Burrow's out, Aaron Rodgers is out, Deshaun Watson. We don't know what the hell's going on with him, whether when he's hurt or when he's healthy. But, that Brock Purdy is the sixth best quarterback in football is insane to like that's like that that just goes to show you. Well, he's coming off back to back great games, including first perfect rating since Joe Montana, I think, in '89. Yeah. And uh, he had that bad spurt, just like Stroud's having a bad spurt. And it's not what you do in September and October, it's November and December. And that's why the best separate themselves, best quarterbacks and the best teams. And this yep. is a great opportunity for Stroud to continue to play well. And, you know, right now, if you were to ask me what team throws the ball down the field more at a higher percentage than any other team, I'd say, well, Miami. They're the most vertical team in the league. They throw the ball beyond 10 yards and 47%, 46%. Guess who throws it 50.1%? The Texans with Bobby yep. Slowick. Yeah, they attack, man. It's fun. It's really, really fun to watch. All right, two more, John. Michigan and Ohio State play this weekend. A lot of drama around that game. Michigan and the, the, the winner – goes on and probably going to win the Big Ten and go to the college football playoff. The loser will have one loss. Not necessarily out of it, though, depending on how this game plays out. However, John, the University of Texas should be rooting for Michigan against Ohio State because the for real or Fugazi because the college football playoff committee will never let a one-loss Michigan team into the college football playoff with all the sign-stealing scandals. Ooh, I like that for real. Yeah, I think that's a great one. You know what's going to be bad is Oregon beats Washington, Alabama beats Georgia, Ohio State beats Michigan, and their Florida State loses without its quarterback, and there's one unbeaten team, Ohio State, and then there's jockeying for positions oh. unlike anything we've ever seen. I loved it when they asked Carbine, much respect we had from Ryan Day, and he calls him Ohio, and he started talking about his game plan. Just yeah. totally blew Love it that. off. That's one of the things that makes the rivalry good, and I'm pulling for Ohio, the Ohio State to beat the Michigan Wolverines, and Jim Mars, Harbaugh's next stop, Chicago or Las Vegas. The Chicago Bears, yeah, yeah. I, um, You know, John, when you lay it out that way, all that chaos, the potential chaos, 
it actually makes me kind of bummed out for the 12 team playoff as opposed to the 14 playoff because I like the chaos. I like the debate. Debate's way better for shows like, you know, like ours on Sports Radio 610 than just, well, all these one loss teams, who cares? They're all going to make the playoff. You know, they, you named all those teams. If, if, if the chaos that you just laid out ensued, those teams would all make the playoffs in a 12-team playoff in all likelihood. I mean, I have to think it through a little bit because I know there's spots taken for conference champions and there's a group of five spot and things like that and whatnot, and it's still a committee involved. So they may do some chicanery where they see a two-loss Alabama as being better than a one-loss Washington or something like that. Um, but I, I look, I'll enjoy the 12-team playoff because it's more football. It's more games. I think it's going to be cool watching playoff games and – campus stadiums that's that's going to be really neat um but i'm i love the debate and the event and how pissed off people get to commit people probably are not fully if we're being real they're probably not the best 13 people like they should have 13 john harris's making all these picks they've got Condoleezza rice on there sometimes they've got athletic directors who who i guarantee you fall asleep in their chair at seven o'clock watching the past 12 games you know what i mean this time next year, it's not going to be nearly as interesting. But right. when they expanded the NCAA tournament, I didn't like it. And now I think it's one of the best things I've ever seen in sports. So we'll adapt to it. But yeah. maybe this won't happen. Ohio State or Michigan will win. Georgia will win. Washington will sweep Oregon. So that's three yeah. unbeatens. And Florida State, maybe the backup quarterback wins. That's, they beat Louisville, and it's a great story. But you know it's not going to be that easy. No, no, uh-uh, it won't. All right, John, last one. For real or Fugazi? This is the most controversial and important one that we're going to do today. For real or Fugazi? Cranberry sauce has no place at any table, let alone a Thanksgiving Day table. For real. My goodness, oh, when I grew you. up, my parents had it on the table. It looked like yeah. somebody's liver. And uh, I didn't want to smell it. I didn't want it on my plate. I tasted it. I really didn't have a problem with it. But I think it's the most overrated thing in the history of Thanksgiving things. Do you know anybody that just like loves it, loves it, cranberry sauce? This is, I don't know. I, I know of a lot of athletes that drink cranberry juice. I like cranberry, like cranberry juice. Sauce. Fine. So okay. I don't know. When I was young, it was always old people that liked it because I guess it's cheap. And back when you didn't have much money and everybody uh, w worried about how they're going to put food on the table, cranberry sauce always seemed to be there. And I thought it was awful. It's awful. Well, have you ever seen it on a table that's not a Thanksgiving day or a holiday table? Like, I've never seen it. Like, I've never seen I've never sat down at a table that and I've eaten turkey outside of, you know, the holidays before. Like, there's there's always turkeys in the freezer at every grocery store all year round like i've eaten turkey outside of season before but i only see cranberry sauce on the table at like once a year and that's that and and now thankfully it's nuts a year i see it because amy's parents are sane and don't dabble in the cranberry sauce arts thank god you're making me sick just talking about it let's do okay well john can, then, then let's wash your palate here last thing like what what is it what is a pre-soda John McClain dream plate look like at Thanksgiving? Like one, you get one plate, John. You can fill every spot on the plate. You can fill every part of the surface area of the plate. What's the dream plate look like for you? Well, first of all, I got to tell you what my wife, Carol, cooks. She has turkey with stuffing. She has mashed potatoes, sweet potatoes, uh, green bean casserole, uh, sweet peas, um, and two pies. 
and celery stuffed with cream cheese and rolls. So on mm. my plate, I will go light on the turkey because I like turkey sandwiches the next two days. Yeah. So I tell her light on the turkey, heavy on the dressing, have mashed potatoes with gravy with the peas on top. And then mm. I have green bean casserole and uh, I make it all fit. Truthfully, I get the green bean casserole in a bowl, but uh, for purposes of what you just asked me, that's what would be on my plate, topped off with a couple of rolls covered with butter. Mm. Yeah, John, that's good. Mm, yeah, no, that's a good, John, that's a solid plate right there by you. I would say, too, that the, the part I'm most impressed by is the token greenery that you have on there to wash away some of the guilt. Green bean casserole and peas on top potatoes. That's I never ate peas on mashed potatoes till I, uh, Carol and I got married. It was a tradition in her family. At first, I didn't like it. Now I do. Plus, it yeah. allows me to get two things in one spot with the peas on top of the potatoes. I don't know why people pile their plate when they can get up 10 times if they need to, but yeah. I won't be eating all this because of the soda weight loss program, but I can eat turkey and I can eat a lot of things that Carol's cooking and still not gain weight. Yeah, absolutely. No, John, you'll, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. I'm just impressed by piling things on top to keep because I gave you a surface area restriction. Like you're like, well, you, you're a lot, you know, if I have just this patch of real estate, but I can build a skyscraper if I want to, it doesn't have to be a two story house. <laughs> I can like build a chocolate a Sunday with a cherry and whipped cream and right, cherry on top, on top. right on top of the mashed potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, John, very, very happy Thanksgiving to you and to Carol. As always, I enjoyed it. Same to you and Amy and, her, and your families. And uh, tell your sons, I said happy Thanksgiving, and it's going to be fun on Sunday. Yeah, can't wait to see you out at the pregame on Sunday, John. That'll be a whole lot of fun right outside Bud Light Plaza. If you're a Texan fan, you're listening to this, uh, come by the pregame. Seth Payne and I start at 9 a.m. just outside Bud Light Plaza, right across the sidewalk from the Modelo activation, the Modelo beer garden, the, uh, the, the Modelo, uh, I forget the name of it, what they call it. I call it a beer garden. They call it something else. Um, but it's the big Modelo area right there. We're it's right a there. Beer garden. It's a beer garden. Absolutely. Come by and see us. John McClain joins us at 1115 out there uh, on, on Sunday. Should be amazing. Should be a fun atmosphere and, uh, and hopefully a big Texans win. Uh, big thanks to Evan for producing. He's in for James today. Uh, James is out on vacation this week. He'll be back with us uh next week um so uh evan thank you for getting this podcast out to everybody so they've got it so they can take their phones and put it in the middle of the table and listen to john eat their turkey with their families and whatnot I, th I hear that's what texan fans do they take the utopia podcast and they put it right in the they say the, they say grace and then they hit play on the utopia podcast and they listen to us while they're eating that's, that's how most americans do it um so evan thank you for getting the podcast everybody we appreciate it we appreciate it of you too we're very thankful for our listenership for everybody who downloads and subscribes super thankful for all of you if you're not one of those people um it's easy to become one just click the subscribe button and the podcast will come to you automatically wherever you listen to your podcast but very thankful for all of you and thankful for this awesome texan season so far it's been a whole lot of fun and it's going to be a whole lot more fun through these next several weeks. We appreciate you going on this ride with us. So for Evan and John, I'm Sean. We are out of time. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Let's get that win this Sunday. We'll be back with you following the Texans' hopeful win over the Jags on Sunday. Until then, happy Thanksgiving. Have a great weekend, everybody.